This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. In watching and looking at pictures of Trinity's past, I'm reminded that we are part of a long line of those who have worshipped Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. From those who kneeled literally at the feet of Jesus to those who are kneeling today around the world, the church continues exalting God. From those who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, To those who shout hallelujah today, the church continues exalting God. From those who gathered in the upper room to hear Peter preach, to those who gather in sanctuaries today to hear their pastor preach, the church continues exalting God. Worship is... And always has been the steady rhythm of the church. It is the beat that marks the time for churches now and even into eternity. Even when the winds of persecution began to blow hard against the church, she still met to worship. Men like Nero and Domitian tried to eradicate the church by having Christians burned alive and even fed to lions. Yet the church continued to worship. When tyrants imprisoned followers of Jesus, taking their houses and their livelihood, their lands and their ability to make a living, the church continued to worship. When Hitler used the state church for his political purposes, the true church, the confessing church, met underground and continued to worship. Worship has been, is today, and always will be the identifying mark of the people of God. I love the story told of the great tenor Luciano Pavarotti. He was getting ready to perform in an opera in New York City. He had done this thousands of times. However, the director of this opera was extremely nervous because it was her first time directing an opera, let alone one with the great tenor Pavarotti singing. She was running behind stage on opening night, going to and fro, worried that everything needed to be in place when she ran into the maestro himself, the great tenor. He looked at her and he said, what's the matter? That's my best Italian. (laughs) She said, I'm trying to get everything in place. I want everything to be perfect. It said that Pavarotti looked at her and said, Don't worry, I sing. Don't worry, 
When I stand to sing, everything else will fade into the background. So it is with worship. When everything else seems to be falling apart, Jesus Christ is our anchor. And worship at times will be the chain that holds us to Him. When all seems to be going wrong, don't worry. We will worship. Psalm 34 is a psalm that focuses on the continual exaltation of God. Go ahead and open your Bibles to this great psalm. As we read through it in just a moment, and I'm going to read the entire psalm. Understand that this was an acrostic. What that means is that every line begins with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. This is a way to help those singing it memorize the psalm. And I think it's very appropriate that as we begin this year of celebrating 40 years of Trinity, 40 years of what God has done, is doing, and will do, that we begin by focusing on worship. Psalm 34 of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul magnifies its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Since this psalm is an acrostic, it doesn't necessarily follow a logical sequence. It moves around. So just to help us in getting a, a grip on what this psalm is teaching us, here is the outline that I will be following this morning as David leads us to consider worship. Worship is no small matter. 
It is central to who we are as followers of Jesus. I would remind you that when Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Worship is an aspect of loving God. Because worship is so crucial to who we are, because it is the lifeblood of our walk with Christ, Satan will work to make believers apathetic about worship. So if we are not vigilant, we will find ourselves simply going through the motions of worship. If we are not vigilant, we will become spectators rather than participants. We will become critics critiquing the service rather than enthusiasts enjoying worship. The description that we find of worship in Psalm 34 is not given by an observer. This is not one who is studying worship as if it is in a test tube, in a microscope, in a, in a laboratory. No, these are the words of a participant who is worshiping because God has been gracious. And so, therefore, this psalm calls us to never be content with where we are just worshiping and watching, but to beckon us to see that worship is a way of life that is to be done at all times. Notice in verse 1. He says, I will bless the Lord. Now that's worship language. It is not that God needs our blessing, but when we worship God, it is a pleasing aroma lifted up to Him. That's why incense is associated with the worship of God in the Old Testament. That's why in the song that the choir sang earlier by Carol Simbala, it speaks of our worship being incense lifted up to the Lord. It is pleasing to Him. And notice he says this will happen at all times. Not just Sunday mornings, not just Sunday nights, not Wednesdays, but worship is at all times, meaning it is a way of life. David wrote this knowing that the people of God were not in the temple 24 hours a day. They were not in the tabernacle every day of every week of every month. He knew that worship was part of a lifestyle seeking God. That's why he says his praise will continually be in my mouth. The follower of Jesus is always worshiping because worship is an orientation of the heart. Our hearts are to be oriented toward worship, toward God, just like a compass is oriented toward the north. So that all we do is done for the Lord. All we say is said with an awareness that God is with us and we are his people. That all we have, all we will ever have, all that we will have is a gift from God and therefore he is to be worshipped. I love the story that Frederick Buchner says in his autobiography, Sacred Journey. He was serving in the Alabama National Guard. And he said, one winter day, I sat in my army fatigue somewhere near Anniston, Alabama, eating supper out of a mess kit. We'd been on Bivac, and it was a cold, drizzly rain that had been falling for hours now, and everything was mud. I was hungry, it was dark, and I was sitting there trying to eat these rations. When I looked around, Buchner says, and I noticed that the man next to me had something left over that he wasn't going to eat. It was a turnip. I'm going to tell you, you have to be hungry to crave eating a turnip. Buchner says, I reached over and asked him if I could have it. He says, he tossed it to me, but in the dark, I missed the turnip. 
It landed in the mud. But he said, I wanted it so badly. That's a hungry man. I picked it up and started eating it anyway, mud and all. He said, as I ate it, he said, the Lord worked in my heart. He said, I saw what was real. He said, not only was the turnip good, but the mud was good too. Even the drizzle and the cold were good. Even the army that I had dreaded for months was good. He says, and I quote, sitting there in the Alabama winter with my mouth full of cold turnip and mud, I could see at least for a moment how if you ever took truly the heart, the ultimate goodness and joy of things, even at their bleakest, the need to pray someone or something, for it would be so great that you might even have to go out and speak of it to the birds of the air. That's the attitude of a believer. All we have in plenty and in want is from God. That's why worship has to be an attitude of the heart, but it doesn't just stay there. It is expressed outwardly. Notice he says at the end of verse 1, it will be in my mouth. Verse 2, let the humble hear. How can they hear if worship is not expressed outwardly? Verse 3 expands worship to more from more than just an individual action to a corporate activity. Let us exalt his name together. I love the video at the beginning of how many of your brothers and sisters said, what I love about worship is what? Being together. Look around, body of Christ. We are not alone. We are one in Him. And each of us have the same testimony. We are saved by the grace of God. And we are here to worship Him and Him alone. Praise His holy name. Worship is to be expressed because whether we like it or not, we are beings made to communicate because our God is a God who communicates. And God made us so that we communicate in a variety of ways. God made us so that our bodies are integrated with our spirits so that guess what, church? Our bodies will express what's in our spirit right now. Hello. I'm here to worship God. <laughs> I dare you to move in my heart, God. If you're happy and you know it. <laughs> we will express things. Those who love sports are never quiet about expressing their love for their team, are they? Why are we quiet about expressing our love for God? Why is it that come we come and we're gathered with other believers? We all of a sudden get like, well, I, I want to raise my hand, but I'm scared to. I want to say amen, but what will they think? <laughs> amen. Worship is to be expressed. Because we don't know the power of expressing worship. As, as I think it was Amy said in the video, at times our worship can be used by God to encourage others that may be downcast. Even as God maybe brings unbelievers to be a part of our worship, we don't know what God will do as we sing His praise. 
I recently read the testimony of a Hindu. His name was kept hidden for persecution's sake. But he told his story of how he came to faith. He said that it was in India and he had been invited to attend a small house church that met secretly. He said, we gathered, there maybe was just 30 people crammed into this room. But the song leader stood up and they started singing. He said, I had never heard such enthusiasm in singing. And then the words, wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace is he, saving me, keeping me all from sin and shame. Wonderful is my redeemer, praise his name. This convert from Hinduism said, no one had started to even preach But I'd already learned so much. What a contrast between the relationship these Christians had with Jesus and the ritualistic appeasement ceremonies of the Hindu gods. He said, I'd never heard anyone call a Hindu god wonderful or counselor. No one would sing like that about Shiva or Kali or his bloodthirsty wife or about their favorite son Ganesha who is half elephant and half human. But they called Jesus the Prince of Peace. He says, the words of that simple chorus were burning themselves into my heart. Jesus would not only save, but he would keep me from all sin and shame. What good news. These people must have found it to be true or their singing would not have been with such enthusiastic joy. Oh, the motivation for what God has continually done is who he is. Those are the reasons that we worship We worship because of who God is. Notice in verse 2 he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord for what he has done. Worship is boasting on God. Now I know we are, are, are raised not to be braggarts. But it's okay to brag upon God. It's like seeing a great play. Did you see that last night on TV? Did you see how the quarterback, he broke through the line and he ran. Man, he was dodging left and right and nobody could catch. Did you see that dunk? Did you see that 30-foot putt that McElroy made? We talk about that. Should we not also talk about what God has done? Should we not also share that I was down in the valley, but God has lifted me up? Now, this is not denying the harsh realities of life. Because I'm afraid that when we hear this, all of a sudden we'll think we have to be superficial in our worship of God and put on this face that is not true. Sometimes it is in the midst of our depths That we need to say, Lord, I am downcast, but I will praise you. That we need to share with our fellow believers that God is at work, that times are hard. And then we can be reminded, for example, in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. We worship him because he delivers. God gives joy, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be put to shame. Verse 6, we worship God because he hears the poor and he saves. Verse 7, God is near to those who fear him and he delivers them verse 17 God hears the righteous verse 18 God is near the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit God is with those who are in high and lofty places and those that are down low and feel crushed God is near those who can truly say whoa I've never been so happy and he is with those who can say my heart is crushed and feels like dust between my feet You see, we tend to think that God is only with the successful. Surely he only hears those who have it all together. If that were the case, God would not hear any of us. That's why I love the context with which David wrote this psalm. Don't read too quickly over the the prefix before verse 1. 
David wrote this of worship after David had engaged in the act, and pardon me if I'm being too harsh, of epic stupidity. You see, David was on the run from King Saul. Saul had said, that's it. I'm going to kill David. I've had it with him. So David runs away from Jerusalem. The first place David went to was Nob in the tribe of Benjamin. Saul's hometown. Now maybe David was thinking, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll get there. No one's going to look for me in Saul's hometown. But soon he flees from there and guess where he goes. He is sent away from Nob to Gath in Philistia. Gath may not ring a lot to you, but that was the hometown of a guy named Goliath. So David now goes to the hometown of Goliath. And get this, not only does he go to the hometown of Goliath, he goes carrying Goliath's sword. Now, I'm, I'm trying to give David the benefit of a doubt. Because th- David is not an ignorant man. I'm thinking, he's thinking, man, that's the last place they're going to look for me. <laughs> who would look for me? And who would think I would be that dumb to go to Gath? I'm going to go hide out there. Well, guess what? When he gets there, the king, Akish, and I know it says Abimelech in the prefix there, but Abimelech was the title of the Philistinian kings. Just like the Egyptian kings were called Pharaoh. It's a general title. Abimelech means good father. So David gets to Gath. The king of Gath sees him and people start saying, Psst, you do know who that is, don't you? That's David. What? That's David. David realizes they know who he is. So he does what any of us would do. He acts like he's crazy. He literally starts foaming at the mouth, goes into a fit. So they're glad to see him run out of the temple and out of Gath. David acted by deception. He faked being crazy. And he is recognizing, I think, in this psalm that God allowed him to escape. It wasn't that God condoned lying or deception, but that God was gracious. What David thought was a good idea wasn't a good idea. And how many of us can testify of the same thing? What we thought was a good idea wasn't as great as we thought. And so God is gracious and provides deliverance from our own stupidity. He delivers us. And notice the emphasis here. He delivers us from our fears. It's interesting that this psalm focused on praise focuses on fear also. Verse 4, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. It would have been fear of being found out. Fear of death. Our fears are not so different. Fear of not being loved. Fear of being alone. Fear of failure. You do realize, believer, that God answers each of those fears. You need not fear failing because you are loved. You need not fear being unloved because nothing can separate you, believer, from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. You need not fear death because Jesus has overcome death. We worship because we are free from fear. And we worship because we have the right fear. Verse 7 mentions fear again. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And then verse 11 struck me as very interesting. 
Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, that tells me two important things about fear. First, the fear of God is learned. I'll teach you what it means to fear God. And it also tells me this. This is the second thing. The fear of the Lord is more than just an emotional response to God. You see, we think of fear just as this visceral reaction. When we see something that strikes within us the neurosympathetic nerve system that causes us to shake and to quake. If that were simply what the fear of God is, you don't learn that. It just is or it is not. Yet, David says here, I will teach you the fear of God. What does the fear of God look like? Look down to verse 13 and 14. This is the fear of God. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now remember, David has just said he'll teach the fear of the Lord. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It is how we live our lives, living them for him. And that's where we must ask ourselves that if the fear of God is living this way, do our lives reflect that? If we gather to worship on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday we ignore God, are we really, really worshiping? That's why verses 8 and 9 extend this invitation to worship. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that language. Come and experience it. The word taste here is the word savor. Not just grab a quick bite. You see, you can't eat things quickly and really savor them. We live in a society that's on the go. We're used to eating food quickly. In fact, I came across a list of the most dangerous foods to eat while driving. Top seven, jelly donuts. Fried chicken. Don't eat fried chicken while you drive. Followed by ribs and wings. Yes, I'll have that half rack to go. (laughs) Chili dog, not good to eat while you drive. Tacos. Number two, hot soup. I'm trying, who's driving with hot soup? I can do it, I'm driving with my knees. Now, I will dispute this next one as the most dangerous food to eat while driving. Coffee. That's not, that's necessary. (laughs) The point with all these things, you can't enjoy those things on the go. I don't want ribs eating. I don't want to eat ribs while I'm behind the steering wheel. I want to sit down and put one of them plastic bibs on and dive in over an hour. Savor it. Slow down. Abide. Reflect and see that the Lord is good. This is a time where, in my humble opinion, the English translation doesn't do justice. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I was able to text with our local Latin scholar, Ike Anderson, and asked him about the Latin Vulgate translation of that word. The Latin Vulgate, the translation of the New Testament in Latin, says sweet. I like that. Taste and see that the Lord is sweet. Because what happens when you get something sweet? I want some more of that. I may not get seconds on turkey, but give me a second on that apple pie. Sweet. That's what gives the blessing. 
He says in verse 8, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Worship is refuge. So I ask you this morning, will you worship him? I don't know what you'll decide to do tomorrow. I hope it'll be for a lifestyle of worship and focus on him. But for today, for this moment, I want us to take this opportunity to worship. Now, you are probably thinking when I stood up to preach, wow, he's awful early. We're going to get out of here quick. Nope, 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 nope. The reason the message is earlier in the service is because from what we do from this point on is our response to this invitation to taste and see that God is good. The songs that we sing to, and we will praise him will teach us of his grace and his goodness. So what's our response? Will we worship him? Church, taste and see that the Lord is good. Bow with me in prayer. The rest of this worship is to be done in response to the invitation you have given us to worship you. So quicken our hearts and our minds, Father, that we will worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let us taste and see that you are good. Let us sing out as we exalt your name because it is because of your name that we are saved. And the church said, Amen.